When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Alright, the Premier League season is officially back, so we're continuing to be back with these reviews of past Premier League seasons. The Naughty's nostalgia is very strong with this one. We are firmly in the 2000s. Now, we're going to review the 2000-2001 Premier League season. The three Pete's on for United. Who will challenge them? We've got new names and noisy neighbours included. Let's get stuck in. Of course, we are here every single Wednesday here on the Sports Social Podcast Network. And to celebrate the return of the Premier League, we'll keep churning out these season reviews of the Premier League. Around 20, 30 minutes or so every Wednesday morning for your pleasure. We've got the Gazprom, formerly known as Le Grand Keeps, That will be uh, back in your ears soon with the return of the Champions League to come. I think we rejoined that in the 2005-06 season, so... Be prepared for that one as well. So let's get back in to 2000, shall we? Not his nostalgia, as we mentioned here on the What If Football podcast. We mentioned last time out that you can often predict with the previous season how who is going to get relegated. And Wimbledon were a big case in point in, uh, in 2000 as their previous season's latter form went down the absolute pan they performed similar form in the uh, back end of the 99-2000 season, only they were falling from 15th rather than 6th. Here today, well, it was fairly predictable, wasn't it? Bradford City, in the top flight for the first time since 1922, survived by the absolute skin of their teeth the prior season against Liverpool. David Weverall was the hero then, and... Uh, 
jumped out of the relegation zone on the final day to relegate Wimbledon. And now it was time to improve. Second season, you got to add some huge names. And those names were Premier League quality. Dan Petrescu, Benito Carboni, David Hopkin of Leeds, Dan Collymore as well. The only problem, though, with the Bantams is with these signings, ready-made names for the Premier League, apparently, it left them in a financial hole. And unfortunately, despite chucking quite a lot of money at the uh, the problem, it didn't improve them. The big difference, really, for Bradford this season was that whilst the prior years, Paul Jewell was a constant here, though, he, the Bradford were rattling through managers like nobody's business. Critch... Chris Hutchins started the season, didn't go well, and he was gone by November. Stuart, Stuart McCall, a senior player at Bradford, was parachuted in as a caretaker manager before. Bradford got their man from the Scottish Premiership at the time. I think it was still called Scottish Premiership, maybe SPL, who knows. Hearts as Jim Jeffries, and unfortunately he couldn't um, save them. We didn't have any more Neville Southalls out of retirement for the uh, derby with Leeds as it was the uh, the prior season, but Bradford were birthed into the season with an incredibly st- tough start. You've got Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United and Arsenal all in the, the first five games of the season. That is your, well, make up your top six, as it were, last season, would do this season as well. And like Bradford, there was like the prior season, there was a there was a famous win in there last year. It was Arsenal, of course. This time it was Chelsea. But by 2001, they have more managers than wins. They had three managers and only two victories. A bit of a disaster. They do win at home against the likes of Charlton and Derby County later on. But by that point, it's just too little, too late. And 2001, Bradford have not been back to the Premier League since they ran very close to liquidation after and in relegation to League One, the third tier they have since mid 2000s bounced between the third and fourth tiers, remaining firmly in that underbelly of teams along with your Swindons, Oldham's former Premier League teams, of course, who dive into the fourth tier, struggle to get out and back into the uh, the championship. But Bradford, of course, of recent years, say recent years of the last decade, became more famous as a, a bit of a cup team springing surprises against the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea in um, a bit of a callback to their prior seasons in the in the Premier League. Um, here, though, they did have a season in Europe, the Intertoto Cup, but that was all over by August. And uh, of course, famously, who knows if it was famous or not, Andre Arsh having made his debut at Valley Parade. For what it's worth, there's a little bit of trivia foyer. And of course, obviously most famous for reaching the League Cup final in 2013 and uh, losing to Swansea and obviously beating Jose Mourinho's Chelsea in the FA Cup. And um, those little nuggets will uh, keep the Bradford fans warm during the wintry months of League 2, travelling to the likes of Barrow and Harrogate Town. Regardless... Let's move on to 19th place. There were big changes in the transfer market for Coventry City. Uh, we mentioned last time out there, signed Robbie Keane for £6 million and he was banging the goals in. Well, they'd made substantial profit on him. £13 million and he's off to Inter Milan. Uh, regardless, the likes of David Thompson from Liverpool, Lee Carsley and Craig Bellamy were all in. And it is a start that is, I would call very Coventry of you. 
three wins, two draws and four losses from the first nine games, beating the likes of Southampton, Man City and Tottenham. The only problem is with Robbie Keane out of the squad and Craig Bellamy not quite reaching the heights just yet. He would, of course, with the likes of Newcastle and Man City, but not yet. Um, goals had become a problem for Coventry. Decent enough December, but their fate was essentially sealed with a winless win run that stretched from Boxing Day all the way to the end of March. They did make a late burst of it, beating fellow Midlands clubs Derby 2-0, Leicester City 3-1 and beating surprise packages once again Sunderland, but... Three losses after that essentially relegate the Sky Blues. They'd got lucky all the way through the 90s, really. Some fantastic great escapes. One season, they jumped from 19th to 17th on the final day of the season. And uh, this was essentially just a case of their nine lives running out. And like Bradford City, they have never come back to the Premier League, although they are getting closer, unlike Bradford City, I guess. Um, again, they're a team like Bradford, and I guess more so in the vein of Portsmouth and Blackpool. Financial worries and obviously continual issues with the stadium. They've been in the plummeting to the fourth tier, but they've bounced back up. And uh, currently, I would guess, hazard to say, a mid-table championship team. Maybe Coventry fans say they'll make a push for promotion, which I would love to see because... Uh, Coventry around the time, Subaru on the shirt, likes of Huckabee, Keane, etc. One of my favourites. Um, soft spot for them during the late 90s and early 2000s. Kind of a bit like Derby in that respect. Both had their sort of, their last peak period in around 97, 98, 99, didn't they? And uh, this is a goodbye to Coventry who are on a, well, will be 22 years next year, their next chance at promotion. Uh, to the top flight that they've gone without. A lot of big clubs like that, though. See Sheffield Wednesday of the uh, the prior season. See Bradford City, of course. And we've got a big name coming back to the league, who, unfortunately for them, we're going straight back down. Manchester City. They'd spent quite big as well. Alfie Harlan, George Weyer, of course, was uh, parachuted in for a couple of games before quickly departing. Uh, Paolo Wanchop and Everton's Richard Dunn. But despite the main road back in 30-some thousand at every game, they were unfortunately long runs without winning. Tons of goals shipped, obviously detrimental. It started as it meant to go on. 4-0 loss to start with against Charlton. There were some good wins, beat the likes of Sunderland and Leeds, who were high-performing teams in this campaign, and lesser-performing teams, Bradford and Southampton. But they did lose the big one. The Manchester Derby returned after five years away. No cup fixtures in between. So this was really the first taste of Manchester United versus Manchester City that I had personally had. Um, the last one was in 96 when Man City went down. The backup and David Beckham scores a free kick within two minutes. And that was it. 1-0. All that for the for the sloppy, wet climax that it was in the end. And uh, a 1-1 draw in the reverse fixture when Man United had already had their title sealed. Um, in the middle of the season, it was just one win between October the 21st and February 24th, which was the kicker, really, and the honeymoon phase well and truly over. And we mentioned the ton of goals that they shipped, conceded f four or more against Charlton twice, Charlton a fellow promoter club, Arsenal twice, which is a bit more understandable, also Leeds and 
West Ham, um, they did keep their slim hopes alive later on in the season with seven points from three games against Man United, as we mentioned, and also Leicester and West Ham were the wins. But in a loss against Ipswich at Portman Road, another fellow promoter club, they went down and it would be Joe Royal coming out of the job with one Kevin Keegan to try and man the ship and negotiate promotion back to the big time. Surviving were Derby and a bit of an odd season for them, really. Defensively, in the first half of the season, they were a, a disgrace, to be honest. They scored two or more goals in the first five games, didn't win a single one. Um, but then the goals dried up and unfortunately didn't win until November the 18th. And the form you can sort of charter does pick up a little bit when Taribo West joins of uh, Nigeria and Inter Milan fame and others, of course. And from his signing to New Year's Day, there's eight clean sheets. So you get to the first 13 games, zero wins. The second 13 games, six wins. And all of those wins were born out of a defensive solidity. All clean sheets, by the way. Um, they did capitalise on Manchester United's title procession, a bit like Man City. But unlike City, Derby got a, a win. Malcolm Christie scoring at Old Trafford in a 1-0 victory. And off the back of that, the Rams survived for another day now, as we mentioned. Wimbledon in 2000, Bradford in 2001. Sticky end to their penultimate season in the division. Derby here, similar. More on that next week. Everton, they suffered a bit like Derby from a lack of goals. Kevin Campbell was the top scorer with nine. We were some way off Wayne Rooney just yet. They would go on a bit of a streaky form here and there. You get three wins on the spin against Arsenal and Chelsea and Bradford. But then two points from the next seven, scoring just two goals. And it was it was that sort of season, really. You do have them in 16th, yes. They had 42 points, though. Derby had 42. And the likes of Man City, Coventry and Bradford, the three cities, they all went down fairly comfortably in the end. And Everton, they did spend quite a lot of money. They brought big dunk back. There was Thomas Graveson, there was Steve Watson, Paul Gascoigne as well, but sold some big names too, Richard Dunn, which we already mentioned. Nicky Bambi to um, to Liverpool and uh, Don Hutchison as well. Meanwhile, you got West Ham and Middlesbrough, similar seasons, both getting over big defensive sales. Christian Zieger came in from Borough and then went to... Liverpool, Rio Ferdinand for West Ham went to Leeds record-breakingly. Borough spent quite a lot. Christian Carimbo was uh, one of those signings, along with Alan Boxic, where their negotiators must have had some either blackmail or some clout because they were always tending to sign some big names. Juninho of the past, of course, Ravinelli as well. Uh, you've got Joseph Desiri jobbing there, cult hero. He was signed. Ugo Ekiog as well. Unfortunately injured a few minutes into his debut, but he would come back to be a bit of a Borough legend. Um, the Hammers, though, they didn't spend much of their Rio Ferdinand £80 million money, but a great run in the middle of the season. Sagging either side, essentially, tells a story of their season. Meanwhile, Middlesbrough's form was the inverse. One point from September the 30th up until Christmas, but in the end... Form either side of it, both ended up with 42 points. A lot of teams here on 42 points. And we go into the mid-table. Leicester, great, great first two thirds of the season, but three points from the last 10 games. European exploits tapered off. And uh, Martin O'Neill 
was uh, firmly in the hunt for a huge job, of course. Tottenham, they changed manager too. They were rocked by George Graham's sacking in March after uh, breaching his contract. And Glenn Hoddle took them all the way from 12th to 12th. Newcastle, they were unfortunately stopped by Alan Shearer's injury and that stopped Sir Bobby Robson's team making progress, rather inconsistent 11th. Meanwhile, Southampton, they had their best season for a while under Glenn Hoddle at first, of course, and then Stuart Gray parachuted in and they finished in the top half, mainly thanks to the goals of James Beattie and he would, he would only get better and it's quite a... Uh, Quite a good time for Southampton in the coming years. The Saints, of course, would bid goodbye to the Dell and who else to score their final goal but Matt Letissier. And uh, back in the big time, we had Charlton Athletic, two promoter clubs we had in the uh, top half. And uh, they were better than ever, of course. Uh, just the one season in 98-99, previously in the Premier League. Jonathan Johansson was banging in goals left, right and centre. A forgotten man, really, in the in the realm of Premier League history. Great second half of the season. Ninth place, not too bad a finish for the Addicts. Aston Villa, I would I would call them incredibly unremarkable. Prior to Martin O'Neill taking charge in the later part of this decade. Unbeaten runs either side of Christmas. Obviously, you've got the, uh, the season of Luke Nillis and what would have been had he not been forced to retire. Great early season form of the... Uh, the big, big Belgian there. And um, Sunderland, they would finish same as they did the prior year in seventh, but could have easily been a Champions League spot, for, but for bad form in the end. you still got Niall Quinn, you still got Kevin Phillips, Peter Reid, all converging on. Let's be honest, another fantastic season. Um, think of a, being a Sunderland fan, um, being a really, really good football league team at the latter end of the 90s, despite all that, taking two seventh place finishes in the big time you just snapped somebody's hand off i assume hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. We've got the second half of the show to come. We're going to take a look at the top six, which features quite the surprise package in and amongst, but at the top of the table, not a surprise whatsoever. Stick around. Welcome back. We're delving in to the big six, or rather top six, because uh, we're not quite, quite at that stage in Premier League history just yet. Chelsea, they had spent quite big, to be honest, under Gianluca Vialli, and one of those names, Mario Stanic, new signing. He scored one of the goals of the season, a little flick up, knee up and volley 
which always to me seemed as though the goalkeeper was just diving from quicksand, to be honest, because it does land quite low in the net, but it's still regardless. An incredible goal. And um, that would essentially be Stanich's um, highlight in a Chelsea shirt. It was a 4-2 win on the opening day against West Ham. From there, an incredibly inconsistent team. Now, Gianluca Viali, um, he parts company with Chelsea after 18 months, very early on in the season. And uh, Claudio Ranieri is the successor, would gain infamy for having the audacity to change his squad from time to time, which is uh, funny looking back now, 21 years Obviously, big signing in terms of Mario Stanich, but the the two big names that really mattered towards Chelsea's season were one, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank in returning to the Premier League and Ida Good Johnson. Between them, bagged 39 goals for uh, for quite an ailing team after the shock of Gianluca Viali's departure. It shouldn't be... Uh, Shouldn't be understated how big a job Viali had done. Uh, prior to this, they had a couple of cup wins under their belt from the 70s, obviously the league triumph in 2005. And that was it for Chelsea, who now obviously are a behemoth of a club, institution, etc. Um, here, though, the, in the late 90s, they, they were probably having their most successful time of it. The FA Cup, two FA Cups, 97 and 2000. You had the, the League Cup as well, the Cup Winners' Cup. All that in the space of a few years, uh, most of it down to Gianluca Vialli, of course, Rude Hullet prior to that. And um, Claudio Ranieri's got to follow that as well. Uh, with the likes of Gus Poye, Gianfranco Zola, typically solid seasons for for them in an ever inconsistent team. And a, really there, a quadrant there of players who were uh, incredible um, in really bridging the gap between Vialli and, of course, the regime to come. Essentially seven points from the final three games for Chelsea qualifies them for the UEFA Cup in sixth place because we have quite possibly one of the greatest seasons by a promoted club. Now, of course, we've had Blackburn and Newcastle in the early 90s, what you'd be jealously terming bankrolling these days. Ipswich, though, they were back in the big time. Nobody expected really much of anything. They'd only spent five million. But from that, though, they had a, a pretty decent spine. Jim Magilton, Marcus Stewart, of course, Titus Bramble, Matty Holland, Richard Wright and Gull. And all would become tractor boy legends, so to speak. Then, to be fair, they'd start, as you'd expect, from a promoted club. One win from the first five games, akin a little bit to what Sunderland had done the prior year. They started off fairly slowly. But then, though, seemingly, they were unstoppable. They lost one until Christmas. A little bit of a wobble in January and February, and you think, oh, the honeymoon phase is over. We'd see this in later years. Hull, Wigan, all sort of tanking in the second half of the season. But Ipswich got a second wind. They returned to form, and they lost just one in April. Unfortunately, though, the penultimate penultimate game, the uh, pre-penultimate game, the third from last match, Against Charlton, a loss there takes Ipswich out of the Champions League places. That's how close Ipswich were to playing in the top tier of uh, football. Of course, this is a time where England were afforded three spots in the Champions League. So that makes it even more impressive that Ipswich were that close to playing in the Champions League. Of course, we'd uh, seen them in the UEFA Cup. So Bobby Robson there taking them to that particular trophy. But they'd never well, not for a long, long time played in the European 
Cup, of course, not since the days of Alf Ramsey. Meanwhile, a draw on... They were still in the they were still in the race for Champions League football on the final day, but a draw against Derby um, takes them well out of it, yielding to the likes of Leeds and Liverpool as ever. But still, remains one of the best performances by a promoter club. You can see Sunderland's seventh place for that one a uh, the year prior, of course. We'd already mentioned Blackburn and Newcastle. And if you think about it, Wigan's 10th place was incredible in 2006. Reading in 2007 improved upon that. Sheffield United in 2020 as well. But like Sheffield United, we might have a bit of a sticky end for the uh, track to boys. Would they become track to men? We'll find out next week. Regardless, Leeds, they had qualified for the Champions League, as we mentioned in the prior year, and they'd bought big as a result. Mark Viduca, Olivia Decor, Dominic Matteo, Rio Ferdinand and, of course, Robbie Keane. Now, whilst they didn't need to qualify as a necessity for the Champions League in terms of their finances just yet, um, they were firmly on that way, on that path. We've discussed previously on episodes of Le Grandes Equipes, their semi-final showing, of course, brilliant um, for Leeds there, only dwarfed by their performance in the 1975 European Cup, where they, of course, were were robbed of that particular tournament against Bayern Munich. Um, Leeds' form in terms of the league, potentially distracted by that in the autumn because what we do have here in terms of the Champions League format currently is two groups. So that's 12 games before you even get to the quarterfinals. And Leeds had played two games prior to that to actually qualify against 1860 Munich. So you got 14 games on top of what was already a, a ridiculously long season. Now, Leeds did have form for this. They, of course, got to the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup the prior year, so they did know how to juggle European commitments with with domestic football, and that did help them, I think, that experience going into the second half of the season because after a loss to Newcastle um, around sort of uh, Christmas time, they go on title-winning form, essentially, winning 10 of 13 games, and the other three, they draw. But... Essentially, a loss at Highbury takes Champions League qualification out of Leeds' hands and all that good work of dredging themselves up from mid-table whilst balancing the, the games against Deportivo and Valencia in the in the knockout phase of the Champions League. It takes returning to that competition out of their hands. They do put nine beyond Bradford and Leicester, but it was all up in the air who would qualify. It was between them, it was between Liverpool. Um, Liverpool's season, that would be more well-known for their cup triumphs, really. The League Cup, the FA Cup, the F, uh, the League Cup, the FA Cup, the UEFA Cup, yes, of course. They brought in some inter- integral squad depth, really. Gary McAllister, Marcus Babel, Nicky Bambi, which I mentioned earlier, Christian Zieger also, and Igor Biscan. But this was a Liverpool team now under Gerard Houllier, built to be a little bit stronger, but still inconsistent as ever as we go into the Christmas period. They'd go on a run of four wins on the spin, then go on a win of losing five on the bounce. Essentially, they lose at home to Leeds in April, which is their biggest setback to their Champions League hopes. Also see the right at the start of the season with uh, Mark Viduca's four-goal haul against Liverpool in one of the games of the tournament, one of the games of the season rather, um, for another bit of a setback, really. And after the second defeat to Leeds, which could have been losing six points to their nearest rivals, could have been absolutely disastrous, really. But after that second defeat, they've got huge games left. Everton away in the Merseyside derby. You've got Tottenham, you've got Newcastle as well. Three enormous clubs, but Liverpool win 
every single one of them. And in the final end to the season, really, they win all of their games but Chelsea at home and essentially need to go to Charlton and uh, get something. They win 4-0 and that is the difference between Liverpool being in the Champions League, a return to the Champions League for 16 years and uh, Leeds going back down into the UEFA Cup disastrously as it was. And now we've got the the top two to talk about and it's just a case of flipping a coin. Who will it land on, Arsenal or Manchester United? Well, we discussed last season, records were tumbling for United. Most goals scored, most goals conceded as champions as well. Um, The earliest the title's been won in the Premier League. You've also got the amount of points scored in a 38-game season as well. And to be fair, they were some way off that this season in terms of the, the black and white numbers. But in truth, it was probably more dominating despite only a 10-point deficit compared to an 18-point deficit. Arsenal, despite that, they'd been quite busy in the transfer market. It should have been a great season when you consider the, the three names, that the three senior big names that they signed. Loren at right back, you've got Perez, you've got Wiltar as well. And those three would become, I would say, Arsenal legends. Obviously, the latter, Silva and Wiltar, probably had the, the, less, the least of the impact in terms of across his whole season, but probably delivered the the most crucial moment of the uh, of the three, really, with uh, a goal we'll discuss next week, I'm sure. Anyway, from the first 12, it was Arsenal's sort of league to lose, really. They'd won eight, they'd drawn three and just lost the one, but then three wins in December and January. Notoriously, a thick and fast time of it uh, killed that title bid. Um, in advance to their trip to Old Trafford in February, Arsene Wenger stated that their Arsenal's, their title chances were over, essentially. And if he was being a little bit coy, playing a bit of mind games, then after the after the game at Old Trafford, it, it, there was no doubt after it, really. 6-1, Dwight York scoring three. An absolute pillaging of what should have been a an incredible title contest, but it was 6-1. Arsenal obviously f- had a lot of injuries, to be fair. The backline was unrecognisable, really. Um, but it was a procession from then on in. Um, the points does read 80 to Man United, 70. But essentially, United gave up in the last few games. He'd won the title at a similar time to the prior year. And again, they did benefit from a lack of Champions League latter stages. Now, of course, in 99, the points tally was 79. But they did have to juggle that with FA Cup final, Champions League final. Here, though, it was exactly like the prior season. They went out in the quarterfinals, this time to Bayern Munich, um, as opposed to Real Madrid. And going out in the Cups early, the Premier League was an utter stroll. You get the class of 92, they've reached their collective peak. The Neville brothers, Giggs, Scholes, Beckham. Roy Keane is at his absolute peak as well of importance and um, it's probably the main reason why they just coast to this title win really you've got still the main four up front Solskjaer, Sheringham, York and Cole but I would say that York's a bit on the wane Andy Cole's not bagging as much but you've got Teddy Sheringham in there winning the uh, or getting at least close to the golden boots um, certainly United's top scorer anyway in, in what would be his final season um, and it's why Roy Keane states in his autobiography that it was just a procession and it, Premier League football was coming easy, and which is why at the end of the season, or with the elimination at the hands of Bayern Munich, that they said they weren't a good team and it was maybe time for this team to pack up and change a few things because their main focus, probably one of their only focuses really, was the Champions League. 
and going out into quarterfinals at both instances to Real Madrid and Bayern Munich, to be fair to United, be a bit, a little bit less harsh on them than uh, Keane was at the time. Um, they were both eventual winners and were incredible teams. So I mean, it's kind of understandable, but obviously a win and then a title win in 99 and then two quarterfinals doesn't read too kindly, I suppose. This is a time right before the experimentation with a 4-2-3-1, one save of Iran, which will, of course, look on the following year. It might not look as spectacular as the prior season with all those records that we'd mentioned, but I think they could have broken them if they really wanted to. You look at the last four games, instead of one point from those, if you win all four of those, you've broken the points record there. And second, third and fourth being 70 points, 69 points, 68 points probably gave them very, very little determination, really. And this is Sir Alex Ferguson's third league title in a row, something that hadn't been done before by a single manager, hasn't been done since. Now, of course, Arsenal, Huddersfield and Liverpool all have achieved three league title wins in a row. But they changed manager, or unfortunately, in terms of Herbert Chapman's case, Arsenal died halfway through uh, winning the three in a row, of course. He was the man who set Huddersfield on their way to three in a row before, of course, jumping ship to Arsenal midway through again, winning three in a row. And of course, Liverpool changed from Paisley to Joe Fagan halfway through their three in a row in the 80s. This was almost righting the wrongs in terms of Manchester United's perspective from 1995 and Blackburn 1998 and Arsenal. And they were now in uncharted waters. Could they win a fourth league title in a row, which hasn't been done, hasn't come close to happening, but we'll find out next time on the What If Football podcast when we review the 2001-2 Premier League season on this episode of The Barclays next time out. Thank you very much for listening, and until then, silly. Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.